He is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. This keystone of our salvation is the most important evidence of His power to save to the uttermost. The Apostle John records the resolve in Jesus' preparation and sacrifice on the cross and the celebration of His glorious resurrection. Because He is delivered from the tomb, we can be certain that the redeemed are delivered from judgment and completely reconciled to God. That reconciliation includes the promise of eternal life. Jesus said, because I live, you also will live. John composed his gospel to provide reasons of saving faith, proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and offers the gift of salvation. He declares these things are written that you may believe. What a weekend it had been. The uh, Thursday night, it had all felt so intimate, so normal. A little heightened, I suppose, by the events of earlier in the week, the triumphal entry and some pretty dramatic teaching in the temple and around it in the days that had followed. But Thursday night, they had been together in the upper room. Jesus had said so much and some of it, perhaps a bit puzzling, but what a weekend they had had. Then, of course, the events later that night, the early departure of Judas, and then after midnight in the garden, his return, the horrible things that followed. They'd seen him die. From a distance, probably, most of them. We know that John stayed close, but we also know only John stayed close. His death, unmistakable, horrific reality. Sunday morning, the exodus from the city of Jerusalem would have started. Passover Sabbath weekend was a, was a huge pilgrimage weekend in the life of the city, but, but come Sunday morning, most of those events now were over and the city would have been emptying. To kind of wonder what that felt like. Uh, if you've ever driven north on I-75 anytime the week after Easter, you know, as the pilgrims return home, As that Sunday afternoon gave way to evening, some of the disciples had told some of the others, he's alive, we've seen him. Don't you remember? He said he'd rise again. Seems kind of unlikely. It had all felt so final. We know that he spent that Sunday afternoon, at least a large part of it, on a, on a walk to Emmaus with his two new friends who were doubtless part of that pilgrimage exit from the city. But they're in the city by perhaps ones and twos through the course of the afternoon. His disciples, drawn by, they knew no, didn't know what, gather again. You know, funny, the Bible doesn't say where the events of this chapter, and we're in the latter part of chapter 20 of the Gospel of John. We don't know just where this gathering took place. Best guess says it was the upper room. 
a, a place that they were already familiar with, I think. A place where not that long ago things had felt so sound and so connected with their beloved Jesus. So they gather in the same place and they're processing. Somewhere in time, after they're all there, somebody said, hey, reach over there and lock that door. They're doubtless still looking for us. And while everything had changed with the resurrection, not all of that had processed in yet. We meet them there in that fearful gathering that Sunday night. We join them in John chapter 20, verse 19. The title that I've, I've chosen for this remainder of John 20 is the riches of the resurrection. For they have come to have quite a lot. They're about to begin exploring all that they've come to have because Jesus has, in fact, failed to remain dead. The three basic paragraphs here of varying lengths, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna take it one paragraph at a time. So the first, these first set of riches are riches we gain from Jesus himself. We join the text at John 20, 19. I'll read down through 23. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, this Sunday evening, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side and then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you have forgiven the sins, or if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold the forgiveness from any, it is withheld. So much in that paragraph, but for this morning, I see five, five components of riches, five things we get because Jesus is alive. The first is what Jesus opens with. He says it twice in this paragraph, peace. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Now that's an interesting, interesting Statement. It's, it's, it's valuable in their setting. Remember, they've, they've locked the doors because they're afraid. They, they are at odds with the world. If there's anything that's clearly on the, on the short list of truths that Jesus has time and time again shared with them is don't expect to maintain a great relationship with the world while you follow me. Do not expect to maintain a great relationship with the world 
while you follow me. Sometimes I think a couple of, a couple thousand years later, we may, have, we may have let go of that lesson a little bit. Do not strive to maintain a good old boy, good old girl, easygoing, go with the flow relationship with a lost world if you're a follower of Christ. It won't work. And if it is working for you, that doesn't speak to your success, it speaks to your failure. The Word of God says friendship with the world is enmity or hatred toward God. So peace be to you is interesting as an opening, isn't it? What is this gift of peace? Your largest source of conflict, your largest source of turmoil, your largest source of trouble, your biggest problem is you. Me too, by the way, my largest one is me. And the largest ramification of that problem is I was born a citizen in a world at war with God and I joined that warfare gleefully driven by my love of my sin, driven by my internal sin nature drive. And until I turn from my sin and trust Jesus Christ by faith, I might be able to make peace with the lost world around me, but I shall have no peace with God. The moment I trust Jesus, peace with God is available to me. And that's what he's reminding them of. He's reminding them that everything that had to be paid to accomplish the penalty of their sin debt has now been paid. And not only paid, but proven. I am not dead. Peace be with you. Peace. Second, inevitably, is proof. He brings to that room that evening Proof as a rich of his of a as a, as a wealth of the richness of his resurrection. Proof he's alive. When the body of Jesus Christ went into the grave, the body of Jesus Christ came out of the grave. This one that was entombed is this one that was resurrected. Resurrected. Luke chapter 24. The entire parallel paragraph in the last chapter there of the Gospel of Luke. Luke the physician goes out of his way to establish this is the physically present resurrection of Christ. He actually, in an expanded version of what he said, says, I'm not a mere spirit. See my wounds. Toward the end of that paragraph in the Gospel of Luke, he eats a piece of fish with them, proving beyond a doubt that resurrection bodies like seafood I find that a good thing. You know, it's the little things you get in the, in the depth of God's word. This is not Jesus the friendly ghost. This is the resurrected body of the Lord Jesus and he proves it by showing his wounds. In Luke, inviting them to make a close examination and explicitly stating, I'm not a spirit. Now that begs a small little sidebar question that I'll chase for a second. He got, he got in without opening the doors. He, he, he walked in without the benefit of, of a door. Now you can, you can make one of two conclusions from that and it's, amaz it's amazing the ink that gets spilt on secondary matters. This isn't even a secondary matter. This is a 
tertiary or quaternary matter. This is a way down there matter. Could Jesus walk through walls because resurrection bodies can walk through walls? That's one possibility, that when you are one day in the new heaven and the new earth, you in your resurrection body, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, by the way, you're gonna get a resurrection body either way, a body designed to praise Jesus and dwell in his presence forever without pain, or a body to burn forever without being destroyed. You're gonna have a resurrection body. Can that resurrection body walk through walls? My plan is to let you try it first. I ain't gonna bloody my resurrection nose. I know, I know. I just don't wanna walk into a wall. I wanna see you do it, and then I'll say, oh, cool, we can do that now. I rather suspect not. I, I think heaven's gonna have doors and windows, you know? I think Jesus could walk through walls. Prepare yourself for this. This is deep because he was God. I didn't speculate. All right. Anyway, a, a physically present Jesus, proof of his resurrection, proof that he lives alive and lives forever. Let us see. He gave them purpose. Purpose. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you in verse 21. This is, this is one of many, many times. He reiterates the great commission in these days between his resurrection and his ascension in Acts chapter one. We're most familiar with the version from Matthew 28. We're familiar with the version from Acts one. This is a short version here in John 20. I came as one who is sent. Now you live as one who is sent. This business of sending lies right along the spine of the New Testament. It's why we have adopted it as one of our, our core metrics here at McGregor, that we live missionally. Church is not some add-on appendage. The gospel is not some set of data that we keep comfortably shelved in our brains. There is a definitional dynamic to our Christianity. We are sent to tell the world of the message of Jesus Christ. That gift of purpose. Letter D, power. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit in verse 22. Now this is not yet the day of Pentecost. There's nothing here that preempts, precludes, or, or borrows the day at Pentecost. Rather, it forecasts it. It heightens the expectation. Jesus here is, is, this is the last prophecy of what's going to happen on the day of Pentecost. A date that is prophesied all the way back to the book of Joel. Know this. Receive the Holy Spirit. And by the way, seven weeks from this day on the day of Pentecost, they will. And God the Holy Spirit who has given us his purpose in the Great Commission has given us his power in the indwelling and accompanying Holy Spirit of God. The eternally existing, fully God, third person of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit 
who for every believer dwells in us, for the church dwells among us, and for the mission goes with us. The power of the Holy Spirit, letter E, the privilege. He is not saying in verse 23, he is not commissioning the church to have the ultimate authority regarding who gets forgiven and who doesn't. That's not what's going on in that verse. Any more than than a similar thing is going on in Matthew 16 and 18 where he makes similar statements. Jesus is not empowering the church to have the last word on who is forgiven and who isn't, as is taught, frankly, in some fairly visible church traditions. No. Nowhere in Scripture do we see the church or even the apostles issuing forgiveness as though it was theirs to issue. It simply isn't. What he's not not giving the church here is power. What he's giving the church here is authority, authorization, to go in his name delivering with clarity the message of who needs forgiveness? Everyone. And who may have forgiveness? All who will follow Christ. It is our privilege to bear the message of the king as his ambassadors. And we are compelled to be truthful regarding that which is sin and the sole means to the forgiveness of that sin. These things are riches we gain from Jesus in the resurrection. But we also gain riches from each other because of the resurrection. This gathering here in what I believe to be quite probably the same upper room is the group of people that will form the kernel of the church. Other scriptures tell us more than merely the apostles are here. This this little gathering is hearing the charge of its creator, but they also are gonna benefit from things they provide to each other. Verses 24 through 29. Now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. The first gift we give each other that's evident in this paragraph is the gift of presence. The gift of presence. Thomas wasn't there that first gathering. He missed it. 
says some things about his own doubts and thus gets himself hashtagged as Doubting Thomas forever. By the way, I don't know that we have been entirely fair or, or, or as thoughtful as we ought be in our consideration of Thomas, and that's a marvelous rabbit I'd like to chase, so I shall chase it when I record the Beyond the Notes podcast this week. I'm gonna talk a little bit about Thomas. He may be less admirable than you think he is in some ways, but he may be more admirable than you think he is in others. At any rate, he missed a gathering. And because he missed that gathering, he was the last to know what was going on. I think about Thomas sometimes when I encourage you to come to member meetings. Now, I'm not equating our member meetings to the disciples' first group encounter with the resurrected Christ. What do you think? I'm a ninny. But I tell you, you gotta be here to know what's going on. And that's true every time the body of Christ gathers. It's why life group matters so terribly much. Our presence in one another's life leads to our, our shared understandings. We need one another. Our presence. Not only presence, but also pressure. There's a pressure that comes. Thomas, man, you, you, gotta, you gotta know this. You've got to get caught up. There's an incredible narrative and you've missed a chunk of it. I, I can't help myself but, but, but think of, of McGregor. I didn't do this in the other arm, I'm gonna do it right quick. Um, this summer for me was 20 years as a member of the McGregor Baptist Church. I got me some narrative. There's a 20 year story that I know of. The church was founded in 1958, so there's a much longer story than that. But just for grins and giggles, if you've been a member of McGregor longer than I have, longer than July of 2002, raise your hand. Praise God for long-term faithful commitments. You're like a spine in the church. Glory to God. How many of y'all joined the story after July of 02? Welcome, newbies. Glad you're here. All right, glory to God. It's, it's amazing to watch the Lord build his church. Let me shorten that up a little bit. Talk about shared experiences. If you've been around just a few years, you remember that in 2015, 2016, we went through what must be described as a difficult but defining era in the life of our church as we went into a transition in the spring of 2015 that left us all with more questions than answers. God was faithful and we learned a lot. And the way we got through that is we got through that following Jesus, but following Jesus together. And by early 17, things were settling out a little bit, at least from that transition. And as we began to go, okay, let's move forward. Irma came to visit us that fall, on a Sunday, no less. No respect for the Lord's day. And just plain knocked the teeth out of this campus. Faith building took a hit. Joy building took a hit. 
Grace building took a hit, a kick, and a body slam. This building didn't get any help. But we came through it because we followed Jesus and we loved each other. That led to, honestly, one of various factors that led to pursuing Renew. A few years back, a two-year campaign to, uh, to address the lingering Irma damage and some other things that needed doing around our campus structurally. And for reasons we didn't see coming, that two-year thing ended up taking three years. But wow, the money was there. Numerous incredible things were accomplished. And we got through it because we loved Jesus and we hung on to each other. And right in the middle of that, I remember the first time I saw on the news that there was some kind of weird bug on the other side of the Pacific. And we might want to keep our eyes on it because it looked like it might get pretty bad. That was the spring of 2020. And by the summer of 2020, all of us knew about COVID and the coronavirus. And things got kind of weird. For a while, we even shut down our public gatherings because at the beginning, we didn't know, was this the, was this the Spanish flu? Was this going to wipe out a quarter of humanity? And so we started, <laughs> we started recording our worship gatherings. Rather than, rather than gathering, a handful of us actually got, in, got together in here on Wednesday nights. And the preaching was into that lens right over there. The congregation, our preschool ministry brought over a bunch of puppets. And so these rows had puppets in them because when you're up here talking, you really do want to have eyes you can look into. Can I tell you I prefer the live ones to the plastic ones? And who knew? And then in the aftermath, we watched as churches all around the country got into internal civil wars over, shall we mask or not mask? Shall we vax or not vax? Shall we social distance or not social distance? And we hung on and we got through it because we followed Jesus and we loved one another. Amen. Amen. Because that's what the body of Christ does. In the days ahead, we're going to roll out Renew 2, phase two of the Renew Capital Initiative, the heart of which is to bring this building a bit forward. It's not going to be all that cheap. There's a lot this room needs. You look around, you can see a bunch of it. You know what I suspect? Because I'm pretty good at spotting patterns. And I want to be really good at trusting Jesus. I suspect it won't be easy. But I suspect we'll get through it just fine. Because we love Jesus and we love each other. And that is a gift. With its roots in his resurrection. We have shared experiences. Now see, just like Thomas 
got caught up, now you're caught up. Not only shared experiences, but shared expectations. The expectation that we'll believe. We, we, we expect one another to believe. We even wrote some stuff down in our covenant, in our confession of faith, that we, we by right and by privilege and by duty, we hold one another to actual words of a covenant, an actual articulated faith of a confession, not only to believe, but also to see others believe. Jesus told Thomas, it's good that you have physically seen the, the resurrected Christ standing before you. That's good. In time to come, the ones that are really blessed will be a group of people sitting in a worship center on Colonial Boulevard in the summer of 2022, none of whom have seen the physically resurrected Christ, all of whom will be challenged to believe. And many of them, many of them will have done so and will live their lives in light of belief in that which they have yet to see. Blessed are they. Blessed are they. And then from here, we go out with the gospel that others would believe and be blessed as we are. Shared expectations to believe and to see others believe as we live missionally. Finally, Roman 3. What do we gain from God's word as a richness of the resurrection? Verses 30 and 31. Now Jesus now John is speaking to us in his narrator voice again. Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. We've referenced those verses throughout our series in the Gospel of John going all the way back to chapter one in the videos we played just before the message. Three things I see there. What do we gain from God's word? Letter A, we gain sufficient truth. Sufficient truth. Jesus did a lot of other stuff and not every single thing that Jesus did has been included. Well, that begs for me the question, why not? Why don't we have all of it? Because we have enough of it. Because what we have in God's word is what God wants us to know. And it is sufficient. The Bible tells us what we need to know to live a life that honors Christ. The Bible tells us what we need to know to live eternally in heaven. The Bible gives us sufficient truth for life and godliness. Does it tell you how to change the oil in your car? No. Does it tell you how to rewire your house? No. Or have your appendix out? No. But everything you need to be all that God created you to be is in this book, and you needn't look elsewhere for truth related to God. In fact, you look elsewhere to your peril. This word is sufficient truth. Second, it is settled truth. The beginning of verse 31. But these... That is, these things are written. Written. 
There's a very, very dangerous doctrine that has hovered around the edges of Christianity since the beginning. That doctrine is, is academically, it's called the doctrine of open revelation. Open revelation teaches that God is still speaking today in ways that are equivalent to scripture. Whether it's through somebody's pronouncements or whether it's through somebody's experiences or whether it's through somebody's visions or dreams. Over against that stands the true doctrine of scripture alone. The reformers said it in Latin, sola scriptura, the Bible alone, these things are written. Do not bring your background, education, experiences, what you think you know, including whatever happened to you yesterday, and say, well, now that that happened to me, I understand the Bible differently. Who knew? Your experiences are not superior to the Bible. The Bible is superior to your experiences. You don't need your experiences to understand the Bible. You need the Bible to understand your experiences. This drives. That's why we've made think biblically such an important measure around here. Thinking biblically means, okay, this just happened to me. I have no idea what's going on. God, show me where I can understand. Settled truth. Finally, let her see saving truth. The ultimate thing you'll never understand apart from the word of God is your need to repent, turn from your sin, and trust Jesus. See, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And that life is available to you now. If you've never come to faith in Christ, turning from your sin, calling out to him as Thomas did, my Lord and my God, there's nothing between you and him that would keep you from being able to do that now except your own love for your own sin. If you want to talk to somebody, I and various others are easy to find right after the service. Riches from the resurrection. Riches from the resurrection.